welcome back everyone to Sunken Treasures. Got an exciting episode for you this week. Our very own Vic Yacht has suggested a movie called Hater from 2014. So Vic Yacht, tell us about Hater and uh, why'd you pick it for this week? So uh, Hater is a Bollywood movie. It is, as you know, it is set in Kashmir and Kashmir is one of the most militarized zones in the world. And which makes things very interesting. But what I quite like about what what keeps me uh, coming back to this particular film is that the skeleton of the film, the way this uh, the story flows, the skeleton is basically Hamlet. the The story of Heather is the story of Hamlet. And what I what I quite like about what Vishal Bharadwaj, the director of Heather, did is that Hamlet obviously has many themes. You know, themes of death and revenge and loyalty and what I, what I quite like in this is how the particular theme of loyalty is taken and accentuated massively out of proportion and made such an important part of the film and the way he handles that is, 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 is spectacular to follow so because because the film is set in Kashmir the there is the basic conflict of what should the locals be, who should the locals be supporting when there are insurgents and then there are, there are many problems. Should they just support the local population even if they are not, even if they are taking part in activities that are against the government or should they be supporting the military even if that means they might be in danger in certain in certain places and or even, even if there is no danger, where should there loyalty lie should that loyalty lie with the army that from their point of view is keeping them safe or should it lie from people who are causing these uh causing problems uh in the name of fighting for freedom from their point of view so should their loyalties lie there so it's very so the very setting of the film is a conflict of loyalty to begin with and there are many there are many complex uh, loyalties in the film and, you know, sometimes they're seemingly noble but end up costing a lot to the character that uh, chooses one side against the other. And to start off, to start off, I want to talk about one very particular instance of this where there's a doctor. So for those who do not, uh, who have not seen Heather, the opening of the film itself starts with a doctor who is treating a terrorist. So... The terrorist falls ill, a doctor has been called to attend on him, but it turns out that he needs to be taken to a safer place because they have to conduct an, a minor operating procedure on him and there is no way he can be taken to a hospital because, you know, the police would catch him and he would not be able to save the patient. The doctor would not be able to save the patient's life, who, who in this case is a terrorist. So he makes the decision to take him to his own house in hiding and then conduct the procedure there. So now, when he makes this decision, should he worry about doing right by his profession, which is to make sure you carry out your duty to a patient who is fighting death? Or do you choose your family's safety, who would clearly be at risk if you are doubted to be someone who is, uh, you know, hiding a terrorist and is, and is supporting a terrorist? So, do your loyalties lie with your profession or do your loyalties lie with your family? 
And so I want to start off with that. What do you guys, you know, think about what do you, what do you guys think about that? Well, I I appreciate the emphasis on not just his profession, but kind of again coming back to this like Hamlet comparison. Hamlet was the son, I believe his dad was like a king or like uh, I forget exactly, but a, a place of status and and you know recognition and being the son of such recognition, you know, has its privileges. And I can only imagine being in this war-torn zone, what a doctor would mean during that time and, like, what a powerful position that would be in a community. Um, and, yeah, what, what is it, the oath, the Hippocratic oath that doctors have to mm -hmm. swear to? Uh, or at least I don't know if that's maybe a, a Western thing. Do they have something similar like that? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We do the same. Okay. Uh, anywhere as uh, Western medicine, they do the Hippocratic Oath. Gotcha. Very intense intro. It, it reminded me of a movie I also watched this week, which is called Israel J. Roman Esquire. I think that's the name, if I'm not mistaken. It was a very, you know, like, I don't know, a lot of people didn't like it. I enjoyed it. It is a Denzel Washington movie. And pretty much... It is about, I guess, that idea of that scene of the movie we watched this week, which is that conflict between do you stand for your beliefs? Do you, right? Like how, how far do you go to it and how much can you betray those beliefs, right? It was, it was an interesting theme on that Israel Esquire movie in terms of seeing a character like pursue so much for so many years a specific belief to the point that he turned to the other side and he's like, ah, oh, fuck it, I'm just going to make money. And then having that, you know, sensation of of betrayal to himself. So I don't know, you know, it was an interesting, like in, in the movie, um, how do you pronounce it? I just don't want to mispronounce the name. Hader? Yes, pronounced Hader. Oh, Hader. Hader is fine. Hader is fine. Hader. Okay, Hader. Um, yeah, you know, like it was a big... It was a big question to start with, I think, for that character. Because the conflict goes beyond, like it takes very extreme tones, right? Like it is no longer like just about do I save a life or I don't. It is really about, uh, you know, there's a whole system of beliefs in the geographical place I am right now. And there's an actual conflict, like a war conflict, that this will cost my life, right? Like, not my life, but it could also, you know, mean this will cost the life of those who I love, I guess. So it, it was quite a conflict to start with. And I, I would love to know what's your take on how much of that was transferred to the middle of the movie when it comes to, you know, when Hyder... Hyder, right? Yeah, I'm from, I, I just yeah, somehow yeah. there's a habit in my mind. Okay, okay. Um, you know when he finds out what happens, what happened to his dad, right? Like when he finds out the truth, uh, and he's given this quest of revenge. Uh, yeah, like how how much of that same principle was, you know, like transferred to the message of revenge, or if it was more of like. We just wanted to revenge, you know, avenge your father. Um, it seems like you're touching on themes of like duty, 
the right. theme of like obligation and like, right. uh, you know, yeah, I think that's an interesting question. I think like for me, I, you know, I worked in medicine for a, a long time and there is an ego piece that I think is really interesting about like, I can save him. Like, you know, mm-hmm. at some, like it is both about a duty, but it is also about like, it's not a game, but you know, the idea embracing like, the challenge it's embraced exactly. And, and I think for people who are really good at it, that actually becomes the singular focus. Um, not even should I like, you know, I, I saw lots of cases that like, we just need to get, get him so that people can say goodbye. And so, but that like is so weird. Like let's put lots of money and resources knowing that like the long-term prognosis is really poor. Um, but it's like, no, we can, we can do this. And so I think that that is an interesting piece specifically around, I'm sure it happens in other professions as well, but I saw it definitely that there's that ego piece. Um, the other thing that I think is really interesting is um, that with, when I learned Hamlet in high school, the like four foot tall nun that taught it to us presented it as a story about procrastination. That if he had just killed the guy when he <laughs> should have, like the whole thing would have gotten done. Like this is actually a story about procrastination. Um, okay. And like he knew what he needed to do. He needed to kill the guy. God, a nun would do and it. And then that like way. We, she's like, but it's okay. Like procrastination is human nature. But also look at all the struggle that ensued because he wasn't able to just like do the thing when Makes he sense. needed to like do the thing. So I think that's also really interesting. Truth be told, I had to brush up on some of my Hamlet um, just so I could kind of further appreciate this analogy and kind of along those lines, like I thought it was, you don't think of like Bollywood using these Shakespearean frameworks and like kind of incorporating that into, you know, their culture. But of course I shouldn't be too surprised. Obviously India was colonized by the English, but I loved how they were able to kind of reframe this into a very pertinent and, you know, struggle for survival you know, realistic experience um, that has affected, you know, hundreds of thousands, if not millions, I imagine. Um, Really got a lot out of that. And I would honestly, I think this is kind of a gateway drug because some of those musical scenes, I want to watch more Bollywood. I'm just going to say it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that's what's so nice about, about, about Shakespeare is that the themes, the themes can be so universal. Like, like it sits so well. It's I mean, Heather is not set in medieval England, or the characters are not aristocrats or monarchs. But it's it's a completely different uh, it's a completely different setup. But it still it still works. And on the topic of loyalty, right? If you like, I have this. I always have this question of if you take a crazy risk and you know end up hurting someone that you love and you consider yourself loyal to. Are you actually being loyal if you if you take if you take a knowing risk that isn't necessary to benefit them, but it's a different risk, but it's you know creating more trouble for them? Are you are you actually being loyal? Like I'll I'll, I'll provide some context, right? Like the doctor is he is he being is he being stupid when he decides to treat the terrorist because 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 we know from the film that. He loves nothing more than his son. Mm. So then going and, you know, helping this terrorist just 
just like it is not just a mark of an ethical doctor but it's also a mark of an irresponsible father they 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 two sides of the same coin right like like i don't know how many of you have watched uh, game of thrones of course what are we barbarians of course <laughs> i've seen most of oh, it okay daniel has not yeah, so so there's this there's this uh, scene in uh, game of thrones after after okay i'm not going to say spoiler alert and spoil it never mind so someone dies and then Tywin Lannister uh, is lecturing his grandson about how he can be a good king. So Tywin Lannister is this kingmaker, sort of very important figure in Game of Thrones. So he is counseling his grandson, and he asks him, "What do you think makes a good king?" So his grandson, you know, tells all this stuff. You know, he has to be pious, he has to be strong, and one of the things he says is that he has to be just. And so. this man is countering every point of his saying strength is not enough piety is not enough and when he comes to the point of just he says ah a king has to be just but then he goes on to narrate a story from history saying this particular king was very just he did many good things for the people but within a year of his reign or something like that uh within a year of his reign he got stabbed by his brother who went on to to put the whole realm into chaos so he asks his grandson was it very just of this great king to be so ignorant to a malicious force that is hiding right in his shadow so was it very just of him to to throw his people into the clutches of evil that he was too blind to see so is that justice so what i find what i find fascinating is that justice is not mere intent right it's also it's also the ability to think about consequence and make the right decision knowing that these are the things that can happen like i feel like the doctor looked at something short term like like now i i i i get to do this and you know this is my priority without thinking about what does that do to my other loyalty which we know that clearly loves a son so it's it's that very interesting sort of uh, place <laughs> well it's beginning to sound like misplaced priorities to me mm. if we are trying to figure out whether he was motivated by his responsibilities as a doctor or was it based on his ego and his wanting to embrace the challenge or the adrenaline of the moment now i'm leaning more towards him being motivated by the adrenaline the adrenaline of the moment because i can't rationalize him claiming that his son and his family are the the most important things in the world to him but yet still voluntarily choosing to put them in harm's way to bring that type of risk into your own home those two decisions seems to be in conflict to me i i also think you know hamlet in this movie that kind of follows the same structure um it is always this question of like who is this guy right like is he is he just a uh, a human being you know like somehow lost and possessed by 
by just this idea of revenge and justice and getting things straight or is he's just a madman right like did he just became at some point a mad prince like somebody who was just um yeah who just lost it right like it, like there was something wrong with him psychologically for him to not be able to see all this but in the end a lot of the conclusions i've heard of the analysis of hamlet for example I, like a character like him is that we there's no denial of the humanity of him as a character, right? Like, if we really think about it, how do we really make these choices? There's a very famous movie called Sophie's Choice, I think. Oh. <laughs> uh, right? And and the whole movie is about the choice, right? Like, you you see the whole movie all to all to the point, not to spoil the 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 movie, but it's about a very hard choice. Like, you have two kids, which one is going? Like, right? I think it was the second World War Two. Right? Yeah, it was it she could like get one out. Exactly. Like she says by an office, like an, uh, a, a military, like she says, like, who are you going to keep? You will only keep one. Who are you going to give up? The little boy or the little girl? Like, that's an impossible question, right? Like, we can judge it as much as we want. We can, and, and it's also because we are outside of the situation. Like, we are sitting here in our houses having tea in the morning, you know, like it, it's beautiful, like life is beautiful and we can make this choice. But if we really think about it, when we are presented with these tough choices, even in that moment, you just don't have time also to think about like the doctor, right? Like, shit, you're in that situation and you are in a life and death point, like for another person, right? Like you need, you're caring about this person somehow. Uh, and you need to make a quick decision. And sometimes it's the, the, the wrong decision, right? Because like, apparently in this case, it was the wrong choice. Um, but I guess it's a very human predicament that we all of us found ourselves at some point in our lives, not at the same extent, not to this, hopefully not to the same situation, but we do have that experience of making a choice. And at some point, perhaps looking back at it, we were like, well, that was the wrong choice, but to be honest, I was just not, that was the only choice I see, I saw, right? Like there was no other way to see differently in that particular moment, in that particular setting with the particular variables I was playing with. I think like one of the other things that I think is really an interesting like theme in Hamlet as well is sort of like the difference between appearances and like mm -hmm. what's, what your, your actual experience is and you know, I think that I make up the Hamlet was supposed to be set in like the medieval time in Europe, which was, you know, just really brutal. And obviously like this movie highlights a different type of sort of political unrest and just general sort of, there is no like base note of safety. Mm. And so what is it to like, have to split yourself between how you want to appear to say the village or the police and also like, like really keeping secrets, right? Like, which is terrible. One of my favorite quotes is somebody asked Sigmund Freud after like what, right before he died, like what, what is all your work? Like if you could distill it down to one sentence and he says, secrets make you sick. It's just mm. not easy to have to, and so just like the doctor obviously like thought he was doing the right thing. Like he created this whole like safe room situation. And so he could hide, you know, what he was doing. And that, that like 
that single move, like act of creating a hiding spot, like you have to know at that point, like you're in it, like pretty, pretty deep. And that like already the risk has exponentially jumped if you're hiding um, what you're doing. And similarly, like when it comes to secrets, I think that's a really interesting point because what Alejandro was talking about in terms of this like madman, we don't know who Hamlet is particularly, but in Hader, we see him, it's like almost a vision. I think we're led to believe it was a dream, but his father comes in and his mother's like next to his bed as he's, you know, recovering and his father tells him like, revenge me. And he wakes up. Is that still fall in line with this sense of like just duty? Is he fulfilling actually something that his father wanted of him to like revenge his death? Avenge his death, I mean? Um, or is he actually going mad? And in these movies, we saw that like kick-ass one musical perform or a uh, scene <laughs> where he's got the head shaved, right? And he's got like, yeah, he it's so, so good. And I don't know, like it's, I lean towards Madman a little bit um, as our protagonist. Like we want to be challenged by our own relationship to Hamlet, but without a doubt, no one does a Madman quite like Mel Gibson in the 1990 Hamlet. Mm. Don't know if y'all saw it, but wow, um, it's worth watching. <laughs> and well, if, if I can we, this, sorry, go. Good. Well, can we just like define like, are we talking about like an emotional break or like a genetic predisposition? Like I know so like the term madman I want to like dissect and like, <laughs> because I think it's really obvious that there's a ton of trauma mm, surrounding yeah. what's going on. Um, and sort of that, like, do you lean into sort of a manic persona versus a depressed persona? And this is all also being kind of like complimented, maybe even partially driven by his relationship to his mom, right? There's like, Ophelia, uh, so, not Ophelia, that's his, Oedipal. Uh, the Oedipus complex. Yeah, Oedipus complex. And that was pretty weird. I mean, it was, it's always been weird in Hamlet, but it was just like weird again to see this very loving mother-son relationship and so even if he got the idea to avenge his father's death from a dream, it was also driven out of protection for his mother to make sure that she was not trapped in this relationship set up by his, his uncle. Um, there's, there's trauma and, and all these things, but, but there's also the point of how much he... The, like all the all the things Daniel talked about, the trauma and all of this. But there's a point of how much he lets it consume him. Like, like there's this one scene where he could actually mm. kill his uncle, and he he takes a he takes the gun and goes to him. He could have actually killed him, but he but he does not kill him because he says, if if I kill you during prayer, you'll you'll go to heaven, and I can't have that. He's so he lets it consume him to such a point that he wouldn't even kill him. Like. He doesn't, he doesn't shoot and ends up getting himself into trouble because, you know, they catch him, try to arrest him and, you know, all the other stuff. Like, he could have, if if that was his sole end goal and if, if he was just being rational about if, if revenge was the only goal, he could, have, he could have killed him there. But he chooses to take his obsession to such a point that 
He says, I am not even going to kill you during prayer because I can't take the chance that you end up in heaven. Like you have, I can't take the chance that you have a good <laughs> afterlife. And I think there's something interesting compared to Hamlet, right? In Hamlet, Hamlet dies and he passes the throne to someone. And yeah, in Hamlet, cool. everyone dies. Yeah, everyone. Yeah, dies. in Hamlet, everybody dies. It's like <laughs> yeah. a game of it's a game of Thrones, right? Everybody <laughs> dies at some point. Um, but interestingly, in this film, he he has that moment of uh, redemption. I don't even know if that's a word, but yeah. that of of yeah, it was it was like when he. And interestingly, it came from the mom, right? So we can say that there was an actual <laughs> Oedipus uh, type of complex right there. Like, it was because of the mom. Like, the mom removed herself from the chessboard, right? Like, it was, mm. It was. I, I was just watching the scene. I'm like, wow, what a chess move, you know? Like, the queen, the, you know, the sacrifice of the, of the queen for, for the game to actually be, be won. Um but she doesn't quite just remove herself by, you know, like she actually took other people with her, right? And part of who was hurt was uh, the uncle, the, I guess, the, the villain of this story. And again, right there, like, it was not in prayer. That was Hyder's opportunity to kill him. And because of, you know, in the, in the scene, like he, you can hear the voice of the mom. And the last thing she says to him, that revenge will not set you free. And that really prevents him from, okay, like this is not the path, fuck off. And like, even, even when the uncle, like he was walking away and the uncle was like, kill me. Like he just walked away and that's the end of the film. Um, back, back to the question of like, are we talking about Mad Men? Like how are we defining Mad Men? I'm not sure if I, I could define him as a madman per se, but for sure, I I started to really think about, uh, like in psychoanalysis, if we follow it, specifically Lacan psychoanalysis, he was a French, very influential uh, psychoanalyst after Freud. Um, he had he has this theory called the object cause of desire and the object of desire and for him he defines us as always having a void you know that feeling that we always have of lacking something right that's what he calls the object of desire um and that, like we feel this void with something of desire right like we desire the attention of our moms right like that's that's right there the oedipus um complex right like we desire that and we become and it's like child sometimes like become envious of the father because they're not getting the attention of the mom or vice versa when you know when there's the electra complex but point to be like what he what he says is that that object of desire is caused by something in my opinion in this film that object that cause of desire of course is a revenge phantom you know like that shadow of the father in that message. And I think, and I, I wanted to ask uh, something after I finished my, <laughs> my my whole thought of my whole process. Um, but somehow, like the object of desire is the mom somehow, in my opinion, right? And the moment that disappeared, the moment is reached or lost, right? Like that does no longer exist for me to desire, then boom, right? Like it's gone. Like the cause is, the cause is gone then the object is gone also, then I'm free of it. 
in a way. Like that's what she said. Like revenge will not set you free. What sets his free set set sets him free. It's her. It's an interesting, uh, unique aspect of the movie, in my opinion. Like it's really her. What really liberates him, right? Like she didn't finish the sentence, but she finished it because she knew what was the whole point of. Oh, now what, what was causing him the pain? And it was not quite the revenge aspect. Like, yes, somehow it was triggered by the message when he goes and look for his father and this guy tells him, oh yeah, yeah, I want, he wants you to revenge him. But at some point in the movie, which I think I might need to watch again, it switches to the mom somehow, or maybe it has always been the mom, you know, like the revenge was just- From uh, the start, there's a lot of, that's that's the scene where he's like he talks about his childhood and he's talking to his mother yeah and he says uh, i wouldn't even let dad kiss you touch you touch you she was in touch the you. point you talk about is a fantastic point because for me it always seemed to be like the dead father the fact that someone had killed his father like that was the reason why he does what he does but but now, now, now I'm also seeing that there's a living motivation. Like, like his mother is the living motivation, and he's he's also doing it for her because mm-hmm. because even if we put aside the whole twisted, dark, you know, this whole Oedipus side of affairs, just him protecting his mom and wanting her to be in a safe place because uh, uh, safe from exploitation because we know what the uncle is like, mm-hmm. and to have his mom actually be his mom and and not you know some other guy's wife and, and a guy who happens to have killed his father so so just to have that so so it's very interesting because is the reason for motivation just revenge because if the motivation was just revenge when his mother passes away his his motivation to kill this guy has to actually increase right because not only did he kill his father he ended up being the reason why his mother died like but but what ends up happening is because of a combination of her words and you know her being out of the picture out of the chessboard like you said right the combination of it makes him not want to kill this guy and he walks away i mean i mean there's some solace in the fact that this dude's uh, legs are blown out but you know, <laughs> right. Still. right 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 i i was i was going to ask um cuz i somehow don't recall quite well that scene how does he find out about He's well. He comes and tells him. No, I know. I, I, I mean, he, he comes. He finds him. He's like, okay, I'll meet you here. He goes, and the guy tells him, like, oh, I have a message from your dad is to avenge him, right? And he tells the story of how he found out. But here, here's the question, because I don't quite recall. Was the message when, when we're seeing on the in the movie, we're seeing the, you know, like the back or the past scenes of the of the dad and this guy does the dad explicitly says revenge me or is this just a conclusion that his friend got and he was like so 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 here's the thing about that guy like you can you can understand the film and all of that right but but if you but if you knew a bit of the language that there's there's a cheeky little reference to uh something uh something that happens in hamlet so the guy who comes to deliver the news that his father wants Heather to take revenge and all of that, he's called Ruhdar. And Ruh is a is a is a Urdu root word for soul. Mm. So it it 
so he is basically named very close to mean the ghost like in like right. in hamlet and also when he comes he's he's wearing all white which i i also think alludes to the fact that he's a he's a ghost because no one else is dressed like that this guy is like just mm. dressed up uh, fully in white in that particular scene so and also it gets it gets a little tricky with this guy because because this is not written medium it's a visual medium and in in the, in the book like when he's seeing a ghost or if he's if he just sees a ghost and something is is he actually seeing a ghost is he you know you know just thinking about this because he is so you know in this in this place of uh, pain and all of that mm. but but because this is a visual medium you 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 are inclined to believe what you are shown right mm-hmm. it makes me wonder what if ruhdar was you know just a terrorist like what if what if i mean he knows uh, say he knew his father for sure but all this all this thing of like you know uh, go kill that man take revenge and all of that maybe maybe that was just to stir up motivation in this young lad uh, heather to you know cause further chaos but right. i mean i feel like there is some scope for some interpretation that yeah, perhaps not but but there's this, this whole thing of like you know uh and the eyes that uh, saw your mother right what whatever, whatever that very poetic uh, this thing was i don't know if it translates yeah. <laughs> well but basically basically he just killed the guy you know just uh... and and i think that ties is really nicely back to the whole you know what you were like the whole theme that you presented to us because at the very beginning about loyalty and also duty it is for sure a theme that connects the whole story from beginning to end this belief and i think it also speaks to the humanity of of us humans you know like we we can do things out of our own beliefs we could go mad and do insane things just for our own beliefs right like in this case it was a conflict are we with the people like the cause right like are we for the people or are we for the army and this conflict and which side do we choose how much do we stick to that and how much of our fate ends up being a product of just sticking to that belief right like just really marrying that you know i realize like the sort of luxurious life that i mostly live right like i live in the united states we do okay and that i was trying to explain some of these concepts to monty and there isn't like there i i am acquainted with people who have you know canceled their whole families essentially because of you know whatever like that mm-hmm. that there isn't sort of this need to have a tribe because otherwise you'll be alone um and so i do think it's a really interesting thing to think about loyalty and what just popped into my mind is there was this social psychology study that showed they looked at lots of different demographics as far as like who if if somebody was like in need of help in a public place what was one of the most determining factors for you know people choosing to go and help kind of like an altruism <laughs> I don't remember how they study. staged it yeah um no it was more like nepotism right like I'm going to help you even if I don't know you because you both like race, gotcha. we're the same age, we're the same sex. 
it ended up being because you're wearing a football jersey of a team that I really mm-hmm. like. Like that was actually one of the highest scoring things was like this like feeling affiliated with people like that that actually surpassed lots of other markers. Um, And so I do think there's this very interesting thing about in our society, at least right now, like your family was always like the thing that like you stuck with your family no matter what, but that seems like families have moved really far apart. Like, no, it's, it's cool. I can have my friends giving, I don't need to see my family. Like, it is kind of an interesting thing about how loyalty has changed or how survive like loyalty from a survival place has changed, um, at least in the United States. And I think it's also really interesting to look at like a militarized zone and how that maybe hasn't changed. So is that a good thing or a bad thing? I think it's curious. Yeah, it's hard to say if it's like bad or good. I mean, obviously in a militarized zone, you have these like hyper terrorism, you know, just ideologies and we're led to believe yeah there's there's no compromise um on one hand we have the uncle who's like a politician just like polonius and hamlet and on the other side you know we have your father's friend who became a rebel and like you know so of course hater feels very conflicted within that like do we go with the relationship that was nearest and you know dearest you know from a friend to our father who is now dead or do we stick with the uncle that we can't stand and preying on our mom and whatnot. Um, So when it comes to like loyalty and the sense of like family and survival, because Hader doesn't really choose to be a part of the rebellion, but he is fully committed to avenging his father's death. So he's, he's kind of caught in this in between. Um, and similarly, kind of coming back to this loyalty and just the the, the mother-son dynamic, put the Oedipus complex aside for a second, but it doesn't take much to understand why the mom did what she did by doing kind of like a kamikaze move at the end, taking other people down with her because Oedip- Oedipus complex or not, I think mom's, me being n- not a mother, but... I would imagine most parents in general would put their life on the line to save their children's life. And it just so happens that while she was doing that, she was kind of making a statement in the middle of this war zone too. I really like the analogy that Alejandro gave in terms of chess. I think that is so interesting because as we pointed out, like we don't even know if the dad's friend wanted to avenge the father's death or actually just fight for the cause. So we have like, and then the queen, you know, so to speak, is kind of married to, what do you want to call him? Like the bishop of a politician or something. <laughs> right. <laughs> I think that was a great analogy to kind of reframe this whole framework. Yeah. Yeah, she was a really good chess player. <laughs> she knew she knew the winning move, right? Um, and and on, on that tone... Basically, our note when the chess chess game was to was to flip the chessboard. <laughs> Boom! Boom. <laughs> yeah, it's like your last queen, ciao. You know. Um, yeah, but that means that means she really valued the outcome right, that right, she right. was looking for, though. Mm. I mean, well, that's a selfless also, move, of course. We see a flashback of how extreme the mom can be when Hader was a kid playing cricket in the backyard or with friends and, mm-hmm. and 
she's begging him to go to this like boarding school and he's saying no 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 and so as the middle i think i don't know much about cricket but i think he was like pitching and she comes straight up just beelines in the middle of this field with all these kids playing and just like i'm gonna ask you for the last time like go to the school he says no she brings out a handgun puts it to her head like say that you will go to the school like she was already like pretty extreme to make her point clear so i guess Shouldn't be too surprised when she was like, let's pull the trigger on all these hand grenades. <laughs> <laughs> I, that's, that's... One other thing that I wanted to point out in terms of the Hamlet, yeah. um, you know, just I loved, uh, not really comparing, but just seeing how this universe can be applied to so many different mm. microcosms. But uh, the river, I forget the name of the river, that was there in Kashmir, but they mention it several times, and it's in like a few of the songs. Jhelum, Jhelum. Say it again. Jhelum. Jhelum. I mean, there's like a, a a song all about this river, like the leaves falling down into this river. It's really, really beautiful, and like Hamlet, the this river plays a significant part too, at least metaphorically, because Ophelia dies in the river; she drowns. And as we know, um, Hader's girlfriend, I'm forgetting her name, um, the character's name, but she, she too dies, but we're led to believe that it was an act of like, suicide. I think we're led to believe that she like, shot herself. I mean, we see her at a... Yeah, yeah, it's suicide. It's suicide. Yeah, yeah. She does kill herself? I think she, wa- I think she walks oh, okay. into the river. Like, oh. she does like a, Vir- a Virginia mm. Wolf style Oh, salute. man. Okay, well that checks out then. And even in the song after the after the wedding, there's there's a line that goes Jehlam la 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 which means that the river Jehlam became red because of all the blood and, uh, and you know the, the the chaos. What are your thoughts on that? Like, does the river play a character in in this? Like, I mean, not a character, but I... the thing with the Indian literature and a lot of Indian thought is that rivers are seen as mothers. Like in many places in in, in North India, uh, the Ganges is not referred to as the Ganges. They say Gangama, which means the mother Ganges. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so when so when they're talking about uh, the 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 Indus becoming red, it is it is. It is it is something so bad because a mother is being you know uh, blood is being spilled and all of this is happening like it's India is a very old civilization and it has always thrived because of you know rivers like the Indus which 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 is now predominantly in Pakistan but the older India right? mm. and so the situation of uh, Jhelum becoming red is a lot worse because it's a mother so. This idea that something sacred is being spoiled is 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 there, and in the song particularly, he's referring to his 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 own mother as a bird, and he says, you know, little bird, be careful. The uncle is a hawk. There lies poison beneath his wings. Mm. So be careful. And this verse happens first, and then he talks about how there was a very beautiful place. There was snow all around. It was a pretty village. And then there was a happy couple, and then a monster came, split the couple, and uh, took the man away. 
and then he says jhelum became red jhelum became red which is also particularly made in this film because the 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 doctors literally thrown into the river and killed right so so it refers to directly his death you know being caused in this this fashion and so it 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 has more to do with the doctors that than than to ophelia's counterpart's character in this because she dies by gunshot but so mm. so jalem becoming red is, is signifies this huge loss of like you know this guy died and you know he's also this very important guy it's it's almost a a, a strike to the whole community because a, a doctor in a place like that is very valuable mm. so so the the jalem becoming red is referring to the doctor's uh, uh death particularly no so i just wanted to t- all right no my my question was just to, um to get everyone's opinion on what you believe the overarching moral of the story was what was the big lesson that was being told don't marry your brother's wife <laughs> love what, what, <laughs> i i stand by vikets vikets phrase of love is the most what like the fuel for terrorism the best fuel for terrorism <laughs> just, oh no no i said i said the mother oh. i said the mother is uh, no i was just being a joke about the mother being right right born. right <laughs> um i mean i still it? love the take on procrastination right if he had killed the guy while he was praying then like how much of it <laughs> would have been done oh well i got pushed back on that though too because like could he live with himself knowing that his uncle was in heaven right. because he killed him while he was praying you're in this belief system because if i was hamlet unacceptable i mean i think he'll be just fine cat come on <laughs> oh no oh uh, I mean he's dead. No, it doesn't he matter. He would definitely about, turn into a madman. You're killing him to get the satisfaction of knowing that he paid a price for mm. what he did. If you're sending him to heaven, it it completely nullifies the point right. of killing him. Well, it doesn't if it provides like relief from the situation. I mean, there's like also like yeah. Relief, but a, a big part of it is the hatred too, right? The hatred that led him mm. to want to kill him. And so if you hate someone, sending them to heaven right i mean that's not the outcome you're looking for and and i think there's also there's also cultural context to this right like for example alhamdra what do what what religion do you follow uh i don't follow any like yeah, like i mean well, like mexico culturally. oh Me- mexico is primarily catholics yeah so so i mean in in hamlet it was you know christian obviously and in this it's it's uh, islamic and I think I think there is this huge emphasis on the importance of prayer and I think there's this and in that particular cultural context it it shifts that right to how important it is seen because like in Hinduism we have this idea that if you do something there'll be the karma and then you'll have to pay for it there's mm-hmm. an afterlife there's there's a there's a birth again and then you pay there but but if the notion is that like after this you go to a hell or a heaven and that is where you're going to spend the rest of eternity then it would be scary to think that you know a dude kill your father and then you, and then he's going to a place permanently and you give him the best place possible so that that sort of thought might you know give you some apprehension about okay maybe i don't kill him now right. you know right 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 makes makes subtle sense yeah and i i was very surprised and this is just my own um lack of knowledge about it um like i Well, here's a question for you, Vikar. Is India primarily Muslims, or like the Quran is an actual? 
Oh okay. no, mostly mostly Hindus. Okay. Oh uh, yeah. Hindu. There's a there's there's a good uh, Muslim population, but I would say around twenty percent or something. So like that. in in the movie, they are Muslims, right? Oh yeah, that's that's Kashmir. Certain parts of Kashmir, they could be the majority. Mm-hmm. There, it's a little uh, more skewed. On I see. So for some context, when 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 India became independent, uh, Kashmir was Kashmir was sort of this. Uh, it was its own own territory, and and uh, there were a lot of attacks from Pakistan. And what what ends up happening uh, broadly is that Kashmir Kashmir joins wants to join India because India can't just intervene and fight on behalf of a different uh, mm. nation. And India, uh, Kashmir becomes a part of a uh, part of India, and it is given a sort of a special status. Like there are some rules that uh, it can make its own decisions about. So though it's it's one of the states of India, it has like certain special provisions it used to have, which uh, in some at some point in the last three or four years that was changed. Now it is like every other state, but before that they used to have like the special status. For them to come join India and you know be part of India, and Pakistan never lets that go, and you know, and they keep attacking, and there are all these uh, uh, terrorist activities happening. There's military uh, military aggression, and uh, and as a counteraction, uh, India keeps militarizing that place more and more, and so this this is like uh, this is like a thing that keeps spiraling out, and that's also that's also what they show, right? Like you know. Uh, in the film, like these people, they're scared to enter their own house, and then a guy comes and pats them and checks them and says, "Now you can go in." And then they go, and it's like this. This uh, it, it's referring to that thing about like they feel hmm. so overly surveilled in their own home that they don't feel normal unless they're checked and then allowed to go inside. Hmm. Uh, kind of a thing. So, so who do you support in that whole conflict? Who do you think is right and who's wrong? Uh I. I don't know. I don't know. I, I I don't know enough because because the thing is, if I knew for a fact that you know the Indian Army was going out there and you know doing bad things, then I would say as much. It's not like uh, oh, I'm an Indian, so I'm not going to say that. It's 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 not that. I just I just don't know enough. Like the truth is that Kashmiris are not able to live normal lives because of. Uh, the military presence and you know all the other things, but the truth is also that there is uh, terrorist activity there. There is you know foreign funded uh, you know uh, uh, terrorism and people like yeah all mm. of uh, all of these things. So I can't I can't particularly Wait, tell funded that, you know, this, this one thing is right. You believe that foreign countries are sponsoring terrorist attacks in Kashmir. I wouldn't doubt it. But what's in it for them? Of course, of course, of course. I mean, uh, why would they not? I mean, if 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 you have a place that is 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 seen as peaceful and you know completely uh, functionally doing well, there is no way those people are going to support you if you want to take over that place. You need some of that. You know, you need to mess. With, with some part of it so that, you know, you are seen as the savior of the very problem that you sneakily created. And it's, it's, it's like that, it's like that thing about the unknown angel, right? So, so yeah, you can't, so you can't have things going well and then they support you. That's not how it works. 
and and there is there is no doubt in the fact that uh, these things there are these uh, things that happen uh, this foreign influence terrorism because there was this one incident which is which is sort of like the 911 of india there was this uh, the mumbai uh, terrorist attacks uh, so basically uh, they attacked uh, the taj the, the taj mahal hotel in mumbai and you know a, a couple other places they took hostages and and set off bombs in places and many people were killed many policemen were killed and like that there was like these 2 uh, 3 days of uh, complete uh, terror and uh, just just sheer dread in mumbai which is sort of the, this financial capital for india and and we know that these people had links to pakistan and then and that they were properly trained and you know they rehearsed all these okay get down here if you if you came through this route there aren't you know too many people to uh, uh check you and all all these things so it was like a completely planned operation so yeah so it's like a very organized job it's 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 not like some guy you know made a bomb in his house and you know felt a fancy right. it's a very it's a very organized uh, I have a question um my question is like what is the for the indian army like is that a voluntary post or is there like a draft or is it like israel where there's a mandatory like rotation yeah no no you you join there's no compulsory okay. I, mean, i mean there are a lot of people it's not like <laughs> it's not exactly like population is a yeah like soon to be like the most populous country in the world now <laughs> if not already too many people if not yeah. already that's a bad thing we can so so i mean the thing is it's having so many youth is very good and if 15 years ago india had you know played its cards right and properly educated uh, all of its youth then there could have been many good things that happened but being a youth and like you know seeing many of my juniors and seniors graduate from their degrees and you know come out with these degrees that are turning out to be pretty useless for them in fact because they're all engineers i mean it's 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 not worth anything it doesn't give them the soft skills necessary to transition to a different job uh, and is it solid enough to make them an engineer and that is not the case either so they're in this place where they feel like they deserve better jobs because they have to recreate of course they've put in the money their parents worked very hard for that money they put in all this work but the, the degrees are not good enough they're not trained enough to uh grab this chance that has passed by us and i mean this again is from you know my very uh, uh limited understanding i must add i'm not saying you know i i have the perfect answer but but if if we had taken that opportunity i feel like india would have been a force to reckon with and but but when you have a populace that you know can barely employ itself and then that can't be good <laughs> that can't be good so but i hear you blaming the education level but it sounds like they're pretty educated then so it's not the education system you're blaming you're blaming employment mm-hmm. opportunities i mean let me let me let me put it this way so so what happened is like so so for example now there are many it's not like uh, every good software engineer role that they're looking for is you know taken up in india 
there are still many roles which you know need good software engineers which you know are hard to fill because there are a lot of engineers but their standard of learning is not good enough to fill that role i mean i mean they are engineers like like what happened is that you know at some point in the last couple you know last two or three decades india realized uh, you know there are a lot of these jobs that you know if you had to pay americans you would have to pay too much you can get them done like all these call centers and that kind of starting from those basic jobs and you know going up to you know software engineers and all that so india realized we can get this done and a lot of you know education moved towards that you know let's have a lot more engineering degrees and all of that but somewhere down the line it became such that these degrees are not actually usable there used to be a point when if you did an engineering degree in india it was very hard to get into an engineering college and you know you would come out with a usable skill but now there are so many engineering colleges but but it's it's hard to tell how many of them actually equip you with the skill necessary to be an engineer so it has become this thing where there are a lot of people that have the degree but they don't actually know how to be an engineer with that degree it's 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 not really education it's a degree it's it's not really the same thing you know i have a question and this is a little, a little bit of a change of topic but coming back to hamlet <laughs> and this bothered me but maybe i missed something so do we see the uncle plot or have any part in the father's death in the movie Oh yeah, of course. Uh he's the one who calls the cops and uh, informs of the terrorist. Oh, okay. I I did miss something then because I was thinking my other favorite Hamlet, you know, reference or a uh, uh movie is of course Lion King and as we know, Scar definitely right. plays a very direct <laughs> role in killing Mufasa, but anyways, So so what happens in this film is that uh, Heather's mother gets worried when Heather's father the doctor brings a terrorist and then she calls his uncle because they already have like some illicit thing going on so she calls him mm-hmm. when she gets worried without the knowledge of her husband and tells him that you know he's gotten this terrorist I don't know what to do Oh wow and, and okay this guy unbeknownst to her uh calls the police because because he does this because he wants to he has political ambitions right that is also part of i mean he obviously is he's interested in his brother's wife but <laughs> he also has political ambitions that is why if you see That's in the second half of the film sure. he's all you know he's like an elected representative and everything because right. he's pulling all these strings you know for for funding and for clout and public approval and all of these things so he is sort of seen as this hero for having uh he's sort of seen as this uh, do gooder by the government and the police for having turned his brother over and that is and that is also how it ties in right the heroine's father and the police officer is supposed to be oh. you know the uh, polonius polonius, polonius. <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh that makes sense thank you for clarifying that honestly i wanted to look at the uncle in the movie like he seemed like a nice dude and like Yeah, like I wanted I wanted to like him but you know maybe maybe they are better off you know if they just you know mom and uncle join together but obviously mm-hmm. the uncle yeah knowing what I know now like right. that guy can definitely go fuck himself yeah he is basically uh Claudius uh, Polonius is the advisor Claudius Claudius was the, the police officer who is the father 
Gotcha. Claudius is the uncle. Oh, yeah. And his daughter is Ophelia, which is the Gotcha. Uncle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. It's all it's all photocopy, man. It's all do, but do it's you so see. good. Sorry. No, I, I was just gonna ask. I guess somehow I'm still I'm still really intrigued by this whole you know the theme of, of the duty and perhaps the ideology of the conflict, right? Like because now that I'm thinking about it, what are the motivations of these characters beyond the main one, right? Beyond Heider, what are the motivations of those who somehow play important pieces or roles in the whole conflict, right? Like we have a very, as we already said, there's, it is placed and contextualized in a very specific scenario, in a very specific actual historical conflict, right? Like, like this, this is, there's some historicity to it, um, that it, it takes place and that's what shapes also. That's what has a part of the uniqueness of the, of the movie and, and the whole film and conflict. But it seems to me that in here, like this layer, I guess, into the, the humanity of all the characters, it is deeply related to this ideology, right? Or in the ideology that they just choose to be part of, which is the conflict itself. Like, are you, which side of the conflict are you in? Because what's the motivation of the uncle in this case, in, in the movie for... Colin, I mean, I don't think they really, I mean, they don't spend in the film, I don't think they spend time, or do they? Maybe I'm just not reading it correctly, like giving us to understand that his motivation, like his motivation is purely political and gaining power. And like, he turned, he turned this guy in because of that, like he saw it as a tactical move. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a, it's a double thing because... That's, that's the scene when his father was alive, like the right. Heather's grandfather and uh, you know the the uncle Claudius's father. When he's alive, he comes uh, and his mm. uh, new sister, newly married sister-in-law, comes home and then she asks him. She's 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 newly married and the, and she asks him like, why aren't you married? And then he says something really creepy like, uh, oh, what do I do? All the beautiful mm-hmm. women are married okay, already. Yes. And then like he's he's like hitting on her and like oh it's it's he's 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 damn creepy the guy I mean I mean he 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 acts so well he's such a great actor KK Meenan and he acts so well but it's 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 damn creepy. I found I found the acting very good. Very you know, good. Like, incredibly good. At at some scenes I was quite uncomfortable and I was like this is great acting you know like whoa I'm so immersed into this like I I really enjoyed the acting of of. All of them, like it really, and, and Heider is a spectacular, like he really embraced that character. Like I was so worried about him somehow. Yeah, I was so concerned. I um, couldn't agree more. And yeah. maybe like an unintended parallel between Hamlet and Heider was the the language, right? So obviously Shakespearean English is foreign to us today. But, you know, nonetheless, you understand it, like you can follow along and like, it's really the actors that are like portraying these emotions and, you know, the the dilemmas and confrontation. And I found that to be the same in Hater as well. Like, even though I think there was, 
speaking what language were they speaking? Was it Hindi or Hindi? Hindi, yes. Yes. Okay. Um, and occasionally they would switch into English for like little mm. bits, but otherwise, like for me, I was me not being a Hindi speaker. I'm reading the subtitles, but I, it, it's like I didn't even notice I was reading subtitles because I was so engaged with the I acting know. and like yeah. the portrayal. I did have the thought early in the call, and like as we were talking about did the different motives, like. You know, there have been different spinoffs from other mm. Shakespearean plays. I don't know that it's happened with Hamlet, where you see the whole storyline through a particular character's lens. And in this one, I think the mother's lens is particularly curious. And, um, you know, like the extramarital affair and the like maybe feeling betrayed by her husband's, you know, commitment to saving whomever. And yeah, I also have to wonder, like, how did he become the go-to guy for the terrorists who are wounded? Usually there's, like, a pipeline for the doctor who's in charge of terrorists that are wounded. That's usually, like... I had a very similar like, question. At least yeah. sort of in the organized crime that I know about in, in the United States, there's usually somebody who is, like, designated and they sign a certain, like, not always kosher contract. Um and so, yeah, I wonder. And like when Hader has the doctor, I'm like, where was this guy? Why wasn't this the doctor that was put, picked to help this terrorist leader or whatever? So, so the thing is that this terrorist is not in custody, and and they go to the doctor, normal doctor, because because these people are still amongst the population, so they don't have to necessarily, you know, go find some, you know, uh, evil cat stroking. Uh, you know, doctor, because these people are still part of the community and many people sort of, in, in cases, they also turn a blind eye because it gets very murky after a point about like, how how deep into this are they? Because there are many locals who are sympathetic to the cause. So uh, mm -hmm. the, the terrorist is not in custody, right? And, and these terrorist outfits are not always necessarily, you know, in some different place. They still are living amongst the people because some people's loyalties lie with, with protecting them. And in some cases, the neighbors might not even know that these people are terrorists in some cases. Like, you know, I mean, you could go up an attic and, you know, find this guy and say, hey, this particular guy is a terrorist. But a guy, you know, who's herding the goats could be a terrorist. Anyone could be a terrorist. This, this, uh, there could be a young boy that, you know, you still just haven't found out, but he's been radicalized. And, you know, he one day brought back a gun home and uh, his life hasn't been the same since. <gasps> so that's why it's like, that's why the, the loyalties thing and everything is so complex. Can I just tell you as like a mother of a boy, like that is terrifying. Would you send your kid to a boarding school if you found a gun in his backpack? Um, <laughs> no, but like actually like related, if you guys haven't seen, there's a Ted talk where, so the Columbine shooting, which is a really, really um, sort of the beginning of gun violence in the United States at schools. Um, my brother would have been at that school if he hadn't been privately schooled. And we were very much a part of the community. And the there's a TED talk of Eric, or I'm sorry, of Dylan Klebold's mom, where she talks about how she had no idea. And, and when you look at sort of what happened, it was Eric Harris, who was kind of like the bully, the guy whose father was a military person and really hard on him. And then you had this other boy who was sort of like very impressionable and, and joined into this, you know, very much radicalized. And like, we should like blow the school up. We should like shoot people in the face. And, 
and very much like her talk is just incredible about like what happened to her after she became like the mother of the child that did this. I have um, seen that talk. And so I do think it's chilling. It's incredible. It's chilling. And, and to see sort of like, yeah, like how do you create, like, I don't know, like how do you buffer your child from, from radicalization? I think it's really a, a challenging thing to think about. And very much goes to what you're saying, Vikyat, that's like these, these normal, normal, I hate to use air quotes, but like, you know, very sort of appearing as a member of the community who then, you know, are also involved in this other thing. And and it's so interesting that you that you bring up school shootings and this 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 also connects to the idea of like the about the discourse in 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 the, in the movie is that is that the 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 main problem is a lot a part of the radical discourse a significant part of the radical discourse is part of the common discourse like like it's commonly accepted like in even in this situation a lot of things like you know, our lives have been taken away because of the military is here, the military mistreats us, and, you know, we're having a hard time. And, you know, these are all things that are accepted. And, like, some people are fighting for us, fighting for us in the sense of, you know, strikes and, you know, sit-ins and all this kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. But then you flip it a little bit and then you go to the radical side, which is, you know, armed revolution is the only way to freedom and, you know, all this sort of, uh, you know, this kind of sentiment. And, and it also, so that's why, that's why it becomes very hard to see who the nut is. Like, who's the one who has, you know, flipped to that direction? Because there are a lot of people talking about, you know, the military has really taken away our lives and all of these things. And and it's it's interesting you bring up the gun violence thing because, like, from what I, you know, understand and my limited understanding of and what I see from American media and all that, I understand that, you know, guns are a part of uh, uh, many people. It's, it's normal for people to you know, own guns and all of that. And I was watching this, uh, this skits and all this, this one conservative YouTube channel, they make mm. these skits and all. And in that they seem to be making the point that I want to own a gun because I'm not in a densely populated city. You know, I'm in the middle of my farmland. Mm. And if something, someone breaks in, I can't wait for police to show up, you know, in a fancy car and protect me. I want to be able to protect myself. So I need a gun. So there is this common discourse and people owning guns and all of that. And then, like, there is the thing of, like, oh, you know, I feel oppressed, so I'm going to use this weapon to, like, you know, inflict that damage on someone else. And that's that, like, really, that's not even radical. It's just, it's just, uh, it's just messed up. It, radical would be something like, you know, a white supremacy protest and, you know, uh, brandishing your guns there and being like, you know, this is, there is a lot of talk about, you know, we protect our freedoms using our guns, but the moment you, you know, start taking these guns and going to these rallies, and and uh, if if they show up in problematic places, then it's a you know different uh, sort of a problem. Like the part of the uh, the reason the common discourse uh, exists is also because they have gotten themselves into the situation where where they are a terrorist until proven innocent. So 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 they're in that uh, they're in that pro problematic. Place. Oh, I want to add to that parallel. Um, another parallel, I mean, I'm so glad you brought schools again, because I, I hate to say it, but I think the way you're kind of explaining or seeing Kashmir and like the hyper-militarization and when you said you were a terrorist until proven innocent, I think tracks pretty closely in, in uh, painting with a broad stroke here, but with our 
I'm going to say public school system in the United States because our like in school police has doubled, tripled, whatever. But even our community police, the militarization, like the weaponized cars and just over overuse of weaponized cars, incredible. But it's oh yeah, I mean like full on tanks in some cities, but like armored cars, not normal police who have literally training. I can speak for the state of Texas. The, the required training for a police officer in Texas is less than a barber to get your hair cut. Like you have to go through more hours of training to cut someone's hair than you do to police a community. Terrifying. So when you talk about militarization and being seen, I'm again, I'm kind of sticking with schools uh, because I think police do kind of generally, again, broad strokes here, but look at students as we don't know who might be the defect here. So everyone might be, you know, carrying a gun until you're proven innocent. And it is that kind of heightened sense of surveillance that is. And and also I feel like there's been a shift with. um, And I, I do feel like intervention is helpful, but rather like there's been a huge emphasis on sort of, this anti-bully movement, um, which I think would be more beneficial if it were balanced with like resilience practices, because. But does that track back to cashmere though too? Cause I well, don't know. I think we agree that these, this is a conflict that's ideological. Yeah, and not- from the standpoint that like you're assumed, it's assumed that like what you're doing, like you call somebody a name, like you can get like, you know, uh, talking to about being a bully, but that's also like what happens. So just it, it struck with me about the like being guilty until proven innocent. Like it's terrifying. Um, yeah, that there there's very little room for sort of ang- expressing anger. Mm. It just came out a few days ago. It's called Sixth of January. It's a documentary on what happened the Sixth of January. What was it? Two thousand one, twenty one. Two years ago, yeah. Or yeah, right. Or twenty two. I don't. I don't remember. It is on HBO. If you want to watch it, it is an incredible show. Well, not show. It's a documentary where they just put together footage of people who was there and different reporters from different parts, and they have some testimony from some of the Congress women, women and men uh, that were inside when that happened. But be, beyond beyond the politics of it, like just really listening, like no, no, <laughs> like putting that aside, like listening to those who were protesting, right? Like, because that's some footage. Like they were, they have footage from a French reporter, and if I read correctly, they are the ones who uh, produce, I guess, the documentary. I think, not sure. I, that's what I think I read. Um, French? Yeah, they were French. They were French. Uh, I think they were students or something. For some reason, they were in D.C. <laughs> at the moment, and they were reporters. And they were very, like, going... Because they, they got into the capital, and, you know, they were asking people, like, what are we doing here? Um, what, what are we trying to accomplish? What, what are you trying to accomplish? Uh, what do you believe in? And it's just really this hatred. Like, I'm not empathizing with right like right now i'm not trying to empathize or like humanize somebody necessarily but 
just recognizing that the fact that that is that happens right and that is not just one person but a lot of people finding a discourse formation being so appealing and speaking to something at their core to your point daniel like i do think there's unfortunately really not space for these feelings to be to just be shown in a not radical way right like like now we are just now this happens part of what i think this happens is because it is already an explosion right it's like people just had enough and of whatever right like i'm not taking any sides in this but but yeah like these emotions this discourse specifically now in our new woke culture of this new generation and cancel cultures and now people cannot really say shit that is not on that that does not that do not comply with their own uh. ideology right and on that regard like they will cancel you and that is part of what i think is a danger right like because then also you have your enemies and your enemies start to hide and that's that's the thing right like now <laughs> enemies are invisible whatever the point is right like by enemies i just mean if you are on the on the side that is on the light and the one who dominates the discourse those who do not comply now are in the shadows thinking about canceling people instead of really engaging in di in dialogue you know like we can be different i mean we don't need to be the same we can think differently there's nothing wrong with it but can we you know like let's can, can we relate to each other civilly well, in a way yes. um but yeah anyways and when you know when i was talking when when you know the very big black lives matter sort of like came onto the scene i was trying to tell monty about it he was like four oh. and i was like okay and i said well like all these bad things happened and we sort of made it better but what we never did like as as white americans is make space for anger right we said you know here's your freedom you should say thank you there wasn't a like here's your freedom we'll give you a, a while to be really fucking mad and rude and like whatever you need to be instead it was this always sort of you know expectation that now that you're free you should you know particularly you know be as much like us as you can and and i do think it like comes back to <laughs> like we have to recognize that anger comes if you don't express it it stays and it builds it, it doesn't take that much to actually have an effective you know expression of anger but we are so intolerant of it because it's so frightening um and and I think that that is at the crux of a lot of sort of exactly what you're talking about, this hidden enemy and and sort of like things, even individually, right? Like it churns, like that feeling you get when you want to cry, like you should cry because otherwise like it just stays there and then it like gets deeper and deeper and deeper. So um, going back to the previous conversation a little. So I think the point that you were trying to make, Vikat, I think, is that due to the heavy militarization in Kashmir, people believe that they've lost their lives essentially, or their way of life that they had before being militarized. And so it's due to that militarization that makes people feel suppressed 
and forces them into radicalism? Oh no, it's not. It's not. It's not just that. I mean, there is also problems like live fire, and you know, there is actual need for them being protected. But they, these these are the better problems to have. The problem that you know I'm being checked and my freedoms are being infringed upon. Those are the better problems. Like there is actually like uh, terrorist setting of bombs and you know live fire and all of that. That that part also exists. It's not just that they're radicalized because of uh, you know the militarization. There's a reason why that has happened. So. Cat related this thing to militarizing schools. Now, from what I can understand, the reason why schools are militarized is for the protection of the people inside because of the mass shooting that happens from time to time. And so having, yeah, but it sounds to me that what you just talked about, someone just being searched and treated like a terrorist every day, that's different kind of from what happens in schools or in communities because that sounds more like harassment to me. No, I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. Who's shooting up schools? The students. Yeah, I guess in, in other cases, yeah. So, so, so you could be that student. So everyone has to, you know, go through these metal detectors because anyone can, can be that kid. And so you have lost your, your, your life of like, okay, just, just being a, you know, six-year-old, just playing on campus. So, so that has been taken away. So it's a similar fashion that, you know, your your freedoms have been taken away. And there was, there was also recently this news of like uh, schools being built in a way so that it yeah. becomes harder to do a mass shooting or something like that. I mean, curved hallways. Yeah, it's curved hallways, basically, so that in case of a school Quite shooting, a the impact would be less. So sad. And imagine imagine changing the architecture of a place uh, in the expectation that a nuthead is going to, you know, come shoot up the place. Yeah, and not giving someone space to just go yell on a pillow or like talk to someone, like release this anger, what Danielle is talking about and kind of along these lines and there's just more a humanity perspective. Like, I think it's important to keep in mind when we, we experience hate and anger, or we see it being demonstrated by someone else, that, that is the flip side of the coin from, from love, right? You can't really have hate without love and someone who is demonstrating such severe hate and anger as whether it's in the United States or in Kashmir, it's driven by a love of something. They fear is going to be taken away from them. Um, they are trying to protect something so fiercely that it's coming out as hate, as anger, as violence. And I think that that for me, that brings a lot of space. You know, before I judge too quickly, it gives me that pause of like, what is actually important to this individual or population or whatever it may be. Um, yeah, and it's universal, right? Like it, it really does speak to our humanity. Like I think it's natural to experience anger, to ex you know demonstrate that anger in violence sometimes. Like be it you know punching a wall or whatever. Like hopefully not an individual, but when we're not given well, that time and space to in general, express, yeah, yeah, the anger is an emotion. Like unlike fear, that fear is like an emotion that pulls in. Anger is an emotion that wants to. Like there's often like an impulse for an action. One of my, I did a lot of body centered training, and she said, you know, fear you can feel coming up the front of you. It's that like pit in your stomach, the like tightening of your chest. Anger you usually feel like up your back, and then you like it wants or like in your jaw. Like there's something that wants to happen, and it's very different. And, and we just like, that's, there's a cue there, right? There's something, there's information there that like, I need to go work out or like wrestle with, you know, 
when Monty was little, I used to, when he would get really mad, I'd say, do you want to tussle? <laughs> like we can like, you know, and then it would get silly after like the anger part was done. But like it, it, there just needs to be like some physical catharsis often. Man, I wish I could wrestle. <laughs> <laughs> we should look for a gym or something. That I mean, Daniel's talking gym. about wrestling with a five-year-old cat. It's not professional exactly. <laughs> the, no, the, but we there's... had that once actually. But I worked at a veterinary hospital that just happened to be above a Taekwondo gym. And we started like renting it out once a week with like the foam. Mm-hmm. Like and just like whacking each other, it was like amazing. It ended up being like team building. So, with the whole militarization thing, though, aren't there some groups of people who are militarized due to preference, and so the militarization is more accepted? While in Kashmir, they may feel like the militarization isn't there for their benefit, so it's against their will, and that's why they're lashing out because they feel oppressed. They feel like they're being vilified instead of protected. Okay, so 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 to give you more context, militarization is not just 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 that you're, there's also curfews, and you know you can't go out after after a certain time. You can't gather in you know groups of more than a certain number of people, and there are all these other things. How many years have this been happening? I mean, it's it's on and off, right? I mean, in some places, uh, in the more critical places, it's 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 there almost continuously, and in other places, it's it's on and off. And depending on you know if any uh, serious thing happened nearby, or if you know some terrorist threat is you know anticipated, or something happened, and so in the aftermath they increase it, and so it's on and off, and it's 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 a continuous continual sort of. A, I mean, because there, there's all these things like, you know, troops uh, exchanging fire, the Indian and Pakistani troops and, you know, uh, terrorist activity being detected and all of this. So from 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 the from the military perspective, like me, me giving up, uh, you know, me not checking you and, you know, keeping that right is like the least of my concerns right now. So like from that perspective. So it's uh, and so, yeah, it's like that because that's like so the military is there. The military is there attempting to protect the Kashmirian people, or are they trying to protect? Of course, of course, the Kashmiri people, the Kashmiri people are Indians. It's just so interesting, you know. As we're describing this, I have very little familiarity with Kashmir, but like, because my husband is a wine person, Alsace, right, is like the strip between France and Germany. One of the reasons that the wines are so different there is because the amount of gunpowder in the soil, because it's constantly been fought over. It was German, then it was French, then it was German, then it was French. And so it is really curious when you have this particular piece of territory that both, um, you know, both places want to call their own. And I often wonder, like, what is it about it that is so appealing that it's worth that much investment? I mean, I mean, I don't think it's it's just a matter of value, right? It's still it's still within your borders. They're your people, and you know, you have to uh, you have to protect them. I mean, it's not like if part of your land is a desert, you just let the next country take it. So. It's still, it's still, it's still, it's still part of your 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 sovereign land, and you know you want to protect that and identity. Be... So, so, so at this point, I want to do a hard pivot because uh, you know we are coming to the close of our time, and I want to talk about this and like about about the, about the women in the story about uh, Gertrude and Ophelia, about how how they trust and are let down by the men they trust. Like mm. like Gertrude obviously trusts uh, Claudius the uncle. And Ophelia trusts both Heather and her father, right. uh, but uh, but her father takes up actions which 
you know, yeah. could have ended up fatal for the man she loved. And Heather obviously uh, ends up being the guy who kills her father. So she is, you know, so I want to talk about like, do these characters have agency or or, or not? And I like, it's, it's, it's very, it's very odd the situation they find themselves in. Like, like how much, like the little energy that they do have they they decided mm. to put on these men and you know things happen so so i want to talk about do you think are these women empowered to action or not or what sort of a role do they play in this like what sort of a situation do you think they find themselves in i think i hear what you're saying you're saying girls rule boys drool <laughs> <laughs> that's not what i'm saying but <laughs> <laughs> i'm just kidding <laughs> Uh, yeah, I think that is a really interesting question. Like, obviously, we're dealing with a, a cultural layer here where the values of, you know, positions in society are just seen very differently. It's not even worth saying right or wrong at this point, but more so how these women choose to use whatever influence that they may have at whatever time. Like, we know the, the mom, she was a capable individual. <laughs> like, she was you know unfortunately made the poor choice in trusting the uncle but nonetheless like she was a catalyst in this movie um whether it was sending her son forcing in a sense forcing her own death to send her son to uh boarding school or again <laughs> perpetuating her own death to protect her son and while taking out others around her like i think she's a great example of like how women can navigate their quote unquote like roles in society, even if it's, you know, culturally different than, you know, Western standards. But as far as the Ophelia, I'm forgetting the character's name and hater, but the Ophelia uh, character, she- Even, you, even uh, I forgot, I'll, I'll, I'll find the name. It's like Gala, Gala or something. Um, anyways, she too kind of plays a bit of a catalyst because she's the person that uh, the, the dad's, best friend approaches to pass a message to Hater. So without her, Hater would never have gotten that message about avenging his father um, and meeting this guy who became a rebel. Um, but but I think like yeah, both of like, so I think the mother, the mother is quite interesting, right? That I would say she more uses manipulation to maintain control. Sounds um, more like terrorism. More than, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's her own version of sort of like, and, and you, I think you see that oftentimes in very patriarchal societies that there's like an under, like there's an understanding that actually many of the mothers sort of run the show and they run it by like a thick layer of manipulation, usually emotional um, uh, and psychological. But yeah, but the, the Ophelia character, you know, I would say like is a pawn, right? Like her, though she's like integral in the storyline, I'm not sure that she actually you know, she's more the seaweed than the current and, mm. and then, you know, ends up sort of being at the effect of not having a particular, particular agency and, or not having like a, a definitive sense of loyalty or a definitive sense of, you know, I think it's, it's quite overwhelming. And I don't think that's an unusual place to be for young girls, there's this idea of sort of not knowing which which group is your group and 
you know, part of the wreck that social media has caused, I think is, is this, uh, there's actually like a, a whole thing in psychology, right? The Ophelia, like, complex, like having divided allegiances, not actually being sure what's happening, saying yes to people and ending up sort of not benefiting from, from relationships. I don't know. It's, it's quite sad. And it's also that, it's also that the, the situation she finds herself in is not exactly, it's not exactly easy, right? It's not exactly like you can pick one side because because both the men she she trusts and wants the good of, if one of those men has their way, the other one dies. Like, like at least at least in Heather, it's only later on in the film as Heather becomes a little, you know, goes all nuts. Uh, uh, she has to worry about him. But in Hamlet, it's a very real threat because you know he is uh, on the side of the uncle and all of that. And and so she is in this place where she can't really support one or the other because both uh, want the destruction of the other because in, in Heather particularly at least from the start the threat is that her father has the legal authority to hunt this guy down as a terrorist given the things that he is doing so so that is so 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 she's very worried about that and then you know Heather does uh, and, and she's worried about her father because you know Heather starts acting all erratic you know he's hanging out with all these you know terrorists and all of that and Heather does end up uh, killing her father in this almost sort of this reflex when he turns around and he sees that there's someone with a gun and then he, you know, shoots him. And uh, so, so the, the place she finds herself in is not, it's, it's, it's not a, it's not just a case of picky loyalties. It's a place where, you know, to pick, you pay an extreme price and that price is the death of one of your top priorities. So it's, it's this, it's this heartbreaking uh, dilemma she finds herself in. And also they, they show it in the film as she, she's all, all through the film she's knitting the sweater and towards the end she starts unknitting it as if she's breaking down and and it's the, the threads are also red so it's like this gory foreshadow of what's to come and she mm-hmm. keeps uh, and when she dies the threads are all over her and you know it's, it's yeah it's very you know. hmm. but but I'll say though one 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 thing is um Threatening to harm yourself so that you can control the behavior of other people. It, it doesn't work with me. Okay. I'm just I'm just putting that out there. Doesn't okay. <laughs> I, I don't I don't is, he, he, Donovan I, is like in case you are that person and you ever want to control me that way, don't think about it. He's no, gonna no. call your bluff. He's like he's like, I'm just gonna say something. I think Hitler. Uh, I just want to say something radical. I think Hitler was the bad guy. <laughs> well, I hope it's that obvious. I hope. I hope everyone, because the thing is this: the fact that there are still people who employ that strategy to get their way or to right. control outcomes means that there are still and some people not... who do it. So there's a lot of. So there's like a as a mother, right, there's like this, and I think it happens a lot more, I've been very cognizant of it, but like, to exaggerate the effect of things, you know, whether it's to teach empathy, or to, you know, whatever, there's a strange thing that happens where you want people, you want your child to understand how their actions affect each other. And I've seen mothers who it's a slippery slope, then to just becoming like, almost histrionic, right, that like, everything is this like, giant disaster, 
when they aren't listened to. And, and so it's not pulling a gun out, but it is definitely sort of, you know, this dramatic flair that does absolutely shape your child's behavior. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's a good tactic depending on the person you applied it to, right? Like perhaps Donovan <laughs> is just not that person. We, you know, That's Donovan true. will be influenced by a different That's type true. of... If it's by good, you mean effective, but I don't think it's good. Like, it might be effective, but I think that's different than... I like that too, Daniel. I like that too. If it's effective and it it can, it can, it's a useful tool for you to manipulate some people who it's effective on, then... It's just not, it's just not the other one. It's not, it's still not moral. It's still not, oh no. Morality is a different dimension. Good, morality is, is, is a different thing, but, so, I... I've been told this story, I don't know if it's true or something like that, but um, I heard that in America in the past that I think it was Iran or Iraq, one of those countries, um, they found an American tourist and kidnapped them and held them for ransom. Does anybody know mm-hmm. this story, right? And I, I mean, think I it think was this has the president. Yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's many times. It's right. not like a And the president letter. at that time. Okay, so the first time I think it happened, the first notable time it happened, America paid millions of dollars to this group that kidnapped the American. And when they paid and got back the American person, like six of the people got kidnapped in the space of one month. And they recognized like, <laughs> like this isn't working. Whenever we negotiate with these terrorists, we invite more terrorism. If you can manipulate someone's decisions or manipulate their behavior by threatening to harm yourself, It's only going to happen again and again and again. You become a slave of that person trying to control you using that tool. I mean, I I nip that thing in the bud. Yes. At the first the first go. Okay, well I mean, I mean I'm 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 feeling the vibes, but I but I don't see the connection. (laughs) You don't see the connection? (laughs) The connection is the connection is you don't negotiate with terrorists and threatening to harm yourself, someone who I care about. To enslave me and to control my behavior, I categorize that as a form of terrorism. Do and I, I do, do you know just to perhaps just to end? Uh, do you know who Chris Boss is? Oh, I, I, that was in my head too, Alejandro. <laughs> if you if you have time, and this could be also a good episode. There, there's a lot yeah. of he 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 even has a master class on this, like about negotiation. He was one of. Uh, FBI negotiation. Not sure if he worked oh, on yeah, some of the that cases guy, yeah. that you mentioned that or that you have in mind. Perhaps he did. Um, but I, I guess that there's something about negotiation. Like, you know, it's it's more complex when you need to negotiate the life of someone. Uh, I mean, it's not as simple as, oh yeah, kill them, fuck off. You know, like, who cares? Like, it's not as simple as that. Yeah. And, and like and like I, I I remember the story which I wanna which I wanna share to to like wrap this up. So that there, there's a story that there was this very bad uh, cobra infestation, king cobra infestation in India, and then the king you know made this announcement that anyone uh, who got a cobra's head would be given this reward. And what actually started happening is that there were a lot more cobras because you know people started raising cobras so that they could kill it. And, you know, <laughs> so, oh my God. so Indians are very resourceful like that. So it's 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 not it's not yeah, that. I kind heard of, of that situation. story too. I've heard that one too. 
and to and to like and to like wrap this up and like with on a note of like how <laughs> how Heather's mom is an absolute maniac <laughs> and you know for the good of the world that uh, Heather happens in turns out mama did raise a quitter so he <laughs> that's true <laughs> Yeah. Jo- jokes on her, right? Like jokes on her. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, see you next week. Thanks so much. Bye.